would for the reading of God's word. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And he said, Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause thee, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Thank you, and you may be seated. All right, it is good to see everybody out this morning. Good to have those visiting with us. Brother Peace, still here for a little bit, until you go back to that part of the world, the, the great-ish Northwest. So it's been a blessing having you, having you around for a little bit. And uh, your dad's doing much better now, so that's good, helping him out. To have Brent visiting with us today, Jennifer. Easy name. My sister's name's Jennifer, and easy to remember. So, so, so good to have you all here today. You're visiting with us. So normally, what we do right at this moment, we just take a few minutes, a minute or so, to pray individually, right where you are, and just kind of allow the Lord to clear your mind and just clear your thoughts and whatever you brought in with you. Let's just try to ask the Lord to put it aside, and let's just focus. On the word, word of God today, God has an answer for you. He absolutely does. And uh, sometimes Satan loves distractions. Sure. And let's make sure uh, we're focused in there. And, uh, and let's make sure our hearts are ready just to be a, a yielded heart. Right? I like what my friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine said. He said, not a surrendered heart. That means God backed you in the corner and made you do it. I'd rather have a yielded heart and just say yes. And I like that. And let's pray that God help us with that today. So we're just going to pray uh, right where you are quietly, and then I will close us out here in just a moment.
Our Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to assemble. What a beautiful day you've given us. It, uh, this is the day the Lord hath made. Let us, we will rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you for it. And uh, Lord, thank you for those that have been able to assemble today and have had the, the health and the ability to assemble. We pray for a blessing on them. Thank you for those, our guests today. And I just pray they just receive a special blessing today from being here. You do great work in all of our hearts and all of our lives. Father, would you help us just to have a heart and a, and a yearning and a desire for just to, to hear your word today and to be uh, obedient to what we hear today. We'd ask you just to bind Satan and just, just to rebuke. But Lord, rebuke the, those uh, demons and such that would love to just inter, inter, interfere with what's going on. I ask you to do that work today as well. And uh, Lord, as your spirit uh, uh, speaks and teaches and, and illuminates your word and, and shows us what we ought to do, uh, Lord, may we just have a yielded heart to say yes. And Father, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to teach us, we just pray you'd help us. Uh, Lord, just to say yes. Pray for those that aren't able to be here today. They're not well. I just pray you'd heal their bodies and bring them back to us. And, and uh, we thank you for what you're going to do today. We're looking forward to it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing one more song. Stand one more time for the pastor comes or go hamlos and turn to page 94. Page 94, and let's sing all verses. In the harvest field of ripen, there's a work for all to do. Harp the voice of God is calling to the harvest, calling you. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Does the place you're called to labor Seems so small and little and known. It is great if God did it, and you'll not forget his own. Little is much when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it if you go. Jesus' name, are you laid aside from service, body worn from toil and care? You can still be in the battle, in the sacred place of prayer. Little is much when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. When the conflict here is ended, and our race on earth is run, He will say, if we are faithful, welcome home, my child, well done. Little is mine. 
with God is it it labor not for wealth or fame there's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus name thank you you may be seated pastor Jim read our text this morning, Ezekiel chapter 37. We're preparing for our outdoor revival coming up. And I'll say it often, we're not just having a revival, we're preaching for revival. Big difference. And uh, we're looking forward to that. The week of August 14th, put it on your calendar. We've been announcing it. Uh, the blue tent will be, a blue and white tent will be going up out on the property here in just uh, in a couple weeks. And Brother J.D. Wido will be preaching that week every night, 7 o'clock. Uh, looking forward to it being inviting. Being, uh, I've said it in Sunday school. I've said it before. There are many that will not darken the door of a church, but they'll come to some weird thing called a tent meeting. Kind of this bit of nostalgic Americana out in the country there. You know, it's not really in the country anymore. Nick's a big city now. So compared to what it was, it's a big city, Right. We we can't even call it Nixie anymore. It's Nixa. It's, it's all it's all highfalutin now, you know. And so uh, anyway, that's coming up, and be praying for that. And uh, but in preparation for that, we've been looking uh, on Sunday mornings at preparation for revival and what God does when He revives a heart and and just the acknowledgement the acknowledgement in our life that. Uh, there need there's a need for revival and 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 undoubtedly we all get to places in our life where we realize we are not as close to God as what we once were and uh, the, the beginning of that acknowledgement uh, begins a great a great path a great uh, a trail back to the closeness with the Lord and so brother Jim read our text here and we're going to look at this passage and uh, here in just a moment but uh, by way of introduction, I was reminded while studying this and studying the, 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 the history of Israel and where they were at this point in time, I'm reminded of, of the work by Edward, uh, by, uh, Edward Gibbon, uh, The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, first published, one of the first volumes published, I believe, in 1787, something like that. He published this work, and he gave about five um, bullet points of the reasons for the fall of the Roman Empire, and some have worded it different ways, some have said it different ways, and uh, but I guess if you could summarize the five reasons that he gave would 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 really go in this order. Number one, the, he said in the Roman Empire, we would call it this way, uh, say it this way, an increase in divorce and remarriage. Number two, higher and higher taxes. Number three, this craze for pleasure. And boy, does that sound familiar. Uh, number four, the building of a greater weapon system of war. And number five, the decay of religion. Funny enough, Gibbon uh, was very anti-Christian and was not very fond of Christians whatsoever. Uh, had a little bit of a, seems like he had a little bit of a relationship with Voltaire and was, was by no means... Uh, um, 
uh, a Christian, but he even uh, noted in a general sense the decay, the decay of religion. And and I find this interesting when you look at our own nation and where we are today, and you go through just those bullet points, and you think, boy, there's a lot that sounds similar. And many of you in here have heard a lot of uh, uh, out there in the history, a lot of the. Uh, the connections between where we are as a nation, where the Roman Empire is as a nation. But undoubtedly, however you line it up, undoubtedly America is in a bad place today. We're in a sorry place today. We are not where we used to be. Uh, most of us in this room are old enough to remember a very different day in this nation. And uh, I was thinking about a book. I've, re- I've read it three times, and uh, but not by a Christian author, but by Neil Postman, who is a professor at New, uh, New York State University, I believe it was. And one of the books that he wrote was called Amusing Ourselves to Death. I would highly recommend you reading that book. Again, written about 1984. Not, not a Christian man at all. But uh, his insight to the craze of, of, of entertainment was, was fascinating. He would tell his students in his class, take one month. This was the early 80s, so very limited to what we have today. Take one month and get re- you shut off all, all uh, entertainment for a month. And he would have his class do that, a part of his class. But in his book, Neil Postman warned that the death of a culture comes from the nation's substitution of shallow and immoral entertainment for rational thinking. Wow. This is an unbeliever. You know what it reminds me? Over in Luke 16, 8, when Jesus said the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. Look, listen to what he says. For the children of this world are, are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And unfortunately that happens sometimes when the children of this world have more wisdom than the children of light have. And Postman definitely was on to something here. But even, even the world is seeing it. Even the world is noticing that our nation is is crumbling. I was on a flight from Chicago to uh, to Boston, and the guy next to me, I, I told you who uh, before this this uh, head of physics department at Brandeis University, where we were talking about some things. It was about the time, a little bit after the Gulf War, and it was still on people's mind talking about whether we should have gone in or not. And he asked me as a Christian, this man was an atheist. He asked me as a Christian, what do I believe? Should we have gone into war? And unlike most. Uh, or some at that time that would have been considered the Christian right, I said, no, I don't believe we should have. And he was kind of shocked by that. And I said, well, the reason is a democracy, they're trying to build a democracy, and a democracy cannot work without a foundation of, uh, of, of the Word of God. It doesn't work. And I said, this is why our own nation is crumbling right now, because it has gone away from the foundation of the Word of God. And, and, and we can see this, right? We can see it all around. And we're not talking about the crumbling of a communist nation or a country steeped in paganism. This is a country we're talking about that chose to put stamp on their money in God we trust. This was a country that decided to put to the Ten Commandments over the doorways of the public schools and over the over the benches uh, over over the uh, in the courthouses across America. The Bible was a textbook by and large. We were we were known from the beginning as a 
Christian nation, however you wanted to define that. And then we come to the place in June of 2006 when President Obama himself said, whatever we once were, and I think that's pretty interesting beginning of this statement. He said, whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation. Now, uh, people will, will say, no, he said just. No, the word just was in the text. He didn't say just. We are no longer just a Christian nation. He said we are no longer a Christian nation. He said we are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, a Buddhist nation, a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers, which has always been the case. Uh, outside of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, it has always been the case, starting with Rhode Island. Brother Chris, aren't you happy about that? Religious freedom. And I'm telling you, it has always been the case. But we look at this and we say, how did we get where we are today? If the U.S. was a Christian nation, yeah. how, wait, let me ask you this. If the U.S. was a Christian nation, how could it get to where it is today without Christians being the culprit. We had the courts, we had the governors, we had the presidents, we had the senators, we had the congressmen. Right. How did we get here? Here's a bigger question. This is the question we ask today. Is there hope? Ready for a great answer on an early Sunday afternoon? Is there hope for America? Probably not. But is there hope for you and I? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is the text this morning that we're going to look at. And the, and the title of the message this morning, how, how is it that dead bones can live again? What a question that is. And I want to look at this. I want you to show you this. Israel's condition when we get to Ezekiel chapter 37. They have fallen into idolatry, kind of like the United States of America. Uh, we are definitely a post-Christian, post-modern nation today. And Israel was at that same place. Israel's problem began really only a, about a generation, two, let me say it this way, two generations after Joshua had died, the Bible told us that that generation served God after Joshua and the generation after served God. But I tell you, you get uh, two generations later, you get into the time of the judges and what, what a mess. They could not stay on track. You see the five-fold cycle throughout the book of Judges which, which, which illustrated Israel. It was sin and then servitude and then supplication and then salvation and then silence. And that happened over and over and over again. But the sad thing is how the book of Judges ends with this famous phrase, and they did that. There is no king in the land, and they did that which was right in their own eyes. And this is where we are today, right? If it feels good, do it. You are your own person. You have the champion within you. You do whatever you want to do, and you are your destiny. You follow your heart, blah, 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 blah. It's all out there everywhere, isn't it? And, it, and it's the idolatry. This is exactly where Israel was. And so God brings, allows the kings to come on. And, and for a little while, the kings helped to keep them on track. At least with Saul, the, the idolatry was limited, although he was a mess. But then you had David, and I tell you, Israel was at its uh, utter pinnacle under David. And then Solomon came along, and, and of course Solomon himself was the one who introduced the idolatry in such a way into Israel. I'll tell you, it's one thing when the people are doing it. It's a whole other thing when those who are supposed to be occupying a seat of righteousness bring in the idolatry. And this is what Solomon had done. He had began... 
uh, offering incense to Ashtaroth and to Chemosh. And uh, from Solomon, from the time of Solomon, things are going to degenerate all the way down to the dispersion that we're at here in Ezekiel chapter 37. After Solomon died, his son Rehoboam took over. And you know what happened there? The kingdom divided. The kingdom divided into the northern kingdom, which was Israel. The southern kingdom, which was Judah. Ten tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. And it was only Judah, it was only Judah that had a few good kings. Six, maybe seven if you want to count Uzziah. Some don't count Uzziah. But uh, so you'd say six or seven. But watch this. Israel had zero good kings. They were all pagans. They were all idolaters. They were all a mess. And idolatry in Israel is absolutely rampant. Not only the citizens following other gods, but the leaders are as well. Hezekiah's own father, Ahaz, offered probably his older brother, Unto, unto, uh, to pass through the fires unto Molech. Some people surmise it might have been some of Hezekiah's zeal to hate the idolatry, knowing that his own brother went through the fires to Molech by his father. And I tell you what, though, listen, friend, when our own Supreme Court put the issue of abortion back to the states, how many governors ran out to tell those other states, hey, you can come to our state and kill your babies. It'll be okay. We'll let you come. Starbucks says, Hey, we'll pay for you if you need to go to another state. We'll go ahead and pay for you. Makes their coffee not taste so good, does it? Yeah. I'm telling you, the people were running out. We look at Molech and say, how could somebody throw a, a fire, a baby, I mean, into the fire? They said the drums would beat nonstop to cover up the screams of the children dying. I'm telling you, friend, they muffle them today in the doctor's offices when they're tearing them limb from limb. We are no different, friend. We are, we are probably in a worse place because we make it sterile and look, uh, this facade of something medical when it's just a wicked butchery going on around us today. Israel has turned in our text into a a pagan worshiping nation. But I'm telling you, it's not too far off from where we are today. And we saw here God's warnings. God began to warn Israel. He sent prophets. Guys like, I mean, these might sound familiar, like Elijah, Elisha, right? Amos, Obadiah, Hosea, Joel, Right? Micah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk. These, these were prophets that warned Israel before they ever went into uh, captivity. God was sending them to warn them. Actually, He warned them for over really over 200 years. If you want to get real technical, about 800 years, God was warning Israel. But the prophets were rejected over and over again. Jesus Himself said in Matthew 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets... And stonest them which are said unto thee, How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens uh, under her wings, and ye would not? You don't think America has had preachers all over the nation? You don't think the gospel has gone out all over this nation? The invent of radio and preachers begin to get on radio. It was just the anniversary of the death of Oliver B. Green just a couple of year, couple of days ago. Started the, uh, the, the gospel hour. And then I think uh, Curtis Hudson had the bright spot hour. And the, or was that, that was somebody else had the bright spot hour. But I tell you, there was just a slew of good men that were all over the radio. You, you, could, have, you could have heard B.R. Lakin and, and 
Oliver B. Green and Roloff and all of these guys were all over the radio preaching the gospel all throughout the nation, going out all corners of the world. The gospel was going out on radio. It was going out in pulpits that were hot with the word of God. It was going out everywhere. But as Jesus said, right, what did they do? They just killed the prophets. They didn't want them. They didn't want them. Can I, tell, can I remind you of this, though, in the life of Israel? God is a long-suffering God. For year after year after year after year, God sent them prophets to warn them, to say, come back, come back to me, it's okay, I'll take you back, come back, come back. And what a beautiful illustration alone in the book of Hosea as somebody that was, that was shunned, a, a wife that walked away from a relationship and her, the picture of God, that of, of Hosea going back to buy her back off that auction block and taking her home and loving her as his wife. What a wonderful picture we have there. Oh, God was warning Israel, warning them, warning them, warning them. But warnings end. Warnings end. Galatians 6, 7, you know what it says. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And in 732 B.C., the Assyrians came down into, into the northern kingdom of Israel and, and took them away. A little bit over 130 years later, 596 B.C., Babylon came in and took Judah, the southern kingdom, and took them away into captivity. Warnings come to an end. I don't know where you are this morning. And if you, can I tell you this? If you have been living under the warnings of God, can I tell you this morning to stop now? Stop and return to Him. Whatever it is, whatever it's been, return to Him today because warnings come to an end. They absolutely do. And this is where we find Ezekiel in our text. He has been taken with that southern... uh, tribe of Judah into Babylonian captivity. So in 596 BC, Ezekiel is going to enter into into Babylon and God is going to call this priest. He was a priest by trade. He's going to call him to be a prophet. Actually, you know who else God did this with? But he left him in Judah. Jeremiah was a priest who God called to be a prophet as well. But listen, he calls Ezekiel here to be a prophet. A prophet in Babylon. A prophet in captivity. A prophet in the place where the warnings ran out. A prophet in a land of chastisement and judgment. I, I love the patience and the long-suffering of God. I, I love the hope that God always leaves, even in the midst of, of dis, uh, discipline, even in the midst of, of chastisement. God leaves his word there for somebody to come back to him. I love it. And this is Ezekiel. This is where he is. Now notice this. Ezekiel is broken down into four parts. Some say three, some say four. I like the four parts. We see here in the first part of Ezekiel, it prophesies Israel's ruin. The second part of Ezekiel prophesies the retribution to all the nations around Israel that, were, that, were, uh, that helped them in their idolatry. Thirdly, we see a provision for repentance. And then fourthly, there are the prophecies of restoration. Prophecies of restoration. Ezekiel, from what I can tell, will spend 70 years in Babylon. He is suffering for the sins of his nation as well. 
And Israel is reaping what they have sown. They did not want God. And God finally obliged. Watch this. So in the midst of oppression, in the midst of captivity, in the midst of this, God is going to show Ezekiel a promise of hope. Can I tell you this morning, I'm glad we serve the same God today. There is always the promise of hope. Always. Don't ever forget that. Chapter 37, we see Ezekiel's vision. Would you look at verse 1 with me? Brother Jim read our text. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. So God brings Ezekiel, however he did it, he brought him down to this valley whether it was a spiritual vision, whether he brought him to a valley somehow there in Babylon, whether he was told to go somewhere. Uh, maybe I didn't look enough into this to delve what, what exactly went on, but we know this. Whatever it is, he's looking at a valley, right? And he's looking at a valley full of bones. In verse 2, it says, And caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. They weren't buried. They were just dumped there. They're just piled up there in an open valley, and lo, they were very dry. Right? We're talking Babylon. We're talking east of Israel. We're talking desert region. We're talking a hot place. We're talking a dry place. So, listen, we're ta- you, you're throwing bones out, out in the sun, and eventually they get so dry, sometimes you pick them up around here, and you thought they're a rock, and they're actually a bone. Oh, yeah, I've got, we've got... Fun little rock fossils of bones I've got. You can see the marrow inside. It looks like a rock and you can see the weird shape. It almost looks like a socket. And you see the marrow all dried up in there. It's really neat looking. It just looks like a rock. Now it's a bone. It's a bone. Don't tell the government. They'll have to come out of our house and get it and try to tell you it's an alien. But, uh, but they're out there and he's looking at these bones totally dry. No moisture. And God asks a question in verse 3. Look at this. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? Wow, what a question. Now, coming from you or I, you know, that's kind of a silly question to even ask. But coming from the God who spoke it all into existence, uh, Ezekiel answers very well. Look what he says. Here, here, he's not going to say, I don't, he doesn't even say, I don't know. He says, oh, Lord God, thou knowest. Right? He's not even going to venture to say one way, thing or the other. He says, God, you know. You know what can happen. And it was a natural question. In the, in, in the natural sense, if you were to ask you and I, the, question, the answer is no. They're bones. Right? Everything's gone. It's dead. Now don't forget this. These bones are a picture of Israel's spiritual condition. God has given us a a picture of Israel's life right now. Their spiritual condition is like bones spread out in a valley, out in the desert, dry, without any moisture in them. There is no life. uh, there, There is nothing to give any... I'm telling you, there's more proof for life on Mars than there is in these bones. That's what God's saying. And, and, through, four, and the, through verses 4 through 10, 
We're going to see here God's prophecy. Ezekiel's vision is this valley of dry bones. But notice God's prophecy in verse 4 through 10. So God tells Ezekiel what to prophesy to these bones. Look at verse 4. Again, he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So there's a couple neat little things you you catch here. You kind of get a little idea what prophecy really is. There's a lot of stuff out there that says what prophecy is. So-and-so prophesies and somebody jumps up and says, The Lord said, right? And you don't know if that's really what went on. Yeah. You see what prophecy here is just saying what God said. Yeah. Prophecy is speaking for God. Watch, not saying your own words, but saying what God said. That's Prophecy. This word came from God to Ezekiel uh, directly to him personally. It was written down later, but it came to him directly from God. But I like what Peter said in Second Peter 1.19 before we get too deep into this. Peter had just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He had just said, hey, this is great that we're up here. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, let's build everybody a temple, right? Let's build everybody somebody. Uh, let's build all three of y'all a temple. And uh, no, that wasn't what Jesus wanted to do. And he watched Jesus. He watched him ascend and transfigured before him. And it was from here that Peter came down in first in Second Peter 1.19. And he said this, that we have a more sure word of prophecy. He said, no, I saw Jesus uh, 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 transfigure in front of me and, and be taken up into heaven. I saw Moses. I saw Elijah. I saw all these wonderful, great things. But I'm telling you, Peter says, we have even a more sure word of prophecy than some great vision or some great miracle in front of me. He says, we got the word of God. Notice this in verses 20 and 21. Peter says, knowing this first... This is the same context, 1 Peter 1.19. Now listen to verse 20. He says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but by the men of God, but men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I tell you what, this is, listen, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Can I tell you what? I don't need anybody to get up and start blabbering what God said. I've got it right here. It's right there. You know what else I have? Indwelling Holy Spirit to teach me and guide me into all truth. And you have it too if you're in Christ this morning. We have a more sure word of prophecy. I, would, I, I love this. Somebody said that, uh, that God, God uh, thought so, so much of us that he decided to write it down. He wanted us to know so, so much. And he was so desirous that we understood what, what he wanted from us and what he thought about us. He went ahead and wrote it down. He didn't leave it to somebody else. To tell you what he said, right? So God's going to have Ezekiel preach the word of God to these dry bones. He's going to preach the word of God. Yeah. Can I tell you this morning, the preaching is where our hope still is today. The preaching of the word of God. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save. It is still the same thing. What is preaching? Well, it's, 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 it's uh, give, giving forth the word of God, but not just giving forth the word of God. That's teaching as well. But preaching preaching of the word of God is bringing the truth to a place 
where you have to decide personally whether you're going to say yes or no. That's preaching. Oh, there's a lot of churches that do expository teaching and they're wonderful at it and there's a lot there. But I've noticed they grow really large because they never get right down and say, you need to change and you need to change and you need to follow the word of God and you need to be obedient. I'm just pointing, okay? I don't know what's going on. All right. But no, people don't like, they get, they don't like that. They'd rather go and just have the word exposed to them and then go home and do what they want to. But that's not preaching. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save. And here it is, the preaching of the word of God. Uh, God is telling uh, uh, Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones. Verse 4, hear the word of the Lord. The Bible says, for faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How shall they hear over, over it says over in uh, Hebrews and, or Romans, and how shall they hear uh, without a preacher, right? It's a preaching of the word of God. And this is the first step of hope. This is the first step of hope. You may be here today away from God and you are in the condition you are in today because somewhere you've shut off the word of God. Somewhere. And the hope is, the hope is the word's still here and you can turn back to it. Somewhere you turned the preacher off. Somewhere you didn't believe the word of God. Somewhere you didn't believe the Sunday school teacher. Somewhere you didn't believe your parents. Somewhere you didn't believe God and you shut it off and you've walked away somewhere. You know what happens? You get a life from that. When you shut off the Word of God, when you shut off the water of the Word, you know what you you come to? You come to a life that's dry. You come to a life that's dead. You come to a life that's like bones sitting out in a valley with no moisture in them. And listen, if you want to live again, if you desire to have that joy back in your life again, tune into the Word of God and listen. It's a great place to start. Notice the promise, verse 5 and 6. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and bring you up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. In verse 5 and 6 you get a promise. It starts with the goal. Verse, You see this? Breath. That's the goal. What, what's the breath? It's life. God created Adam first. He formed of the, of, the, of the clay, of the dirt, of the ground. He formed him and he made him. Then he breathed life into him. All right? He came secondly. But notice, the rest of the verse shows the process of life. He says, what's he going to speak onto them again? Sinews and, uh, and flesh. And then he's going to cover, the, cover you with skin and then finally put breath back in you. Same pattern as Adam almost. Except for the bones were already there. <laughs> yeah. So here's the promise. God says, I'm going to make dead bones live again. I'm going to make a dry life live again. I'm going to make a life with no moisture have moisture in it again. I'm going to make it have life again. And so Ezekiel prophesies exactly what God tells him to do. And I like this. Here's, I was telling my wife this morning, sadly, uh, the only thing many Christians know about this event in Ezekiel is the silly song that goes with it. How many started singing about the song about the dry bones? And, oh, I heard it on the way to church. And I'm like, that's not the point. You know, of course, I'm like, and, uh, and, and, but this is a real event in the life of Israel, in the life of Ezekiel, in the working of God 
God through one of his prophets. This really happened, and this is a wonderful thing for us. We've got to be careful sometimes of these songs. You know, you know they, carry, they make a caricature out of the word of God. They can make it just a fun kids thing. And, and you know, you got David and Goliath and, and all of these things. It's like, man, that dude stepped on top of Goliath and hacked his head off. And blood was going everywhere. And he carried his head around for a few days. And, I mean, it was gruesome. It was awesome. I liked it. I don't know. But anyway. But it really happened. Right? Sad to say, I think a lot of those kids, I guess it would be in my era, that grew up 40 years ago and... 30, 40 years ago or more in a junior church setting, right? And all their fun now of churches that are just a bunch of fun, a bunch of kids' stories, a bunch of kids' songs. No depth of theology. Thankful for those that aren't like that. But this is a serious thing going on here. Ezekiel prophesies and says exactly what God said. Ezekiel stood up to these dead bones and spoke, Thus saith the Lord. Yeah. Look at verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. I like that. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do as an ambassador for Christ out in the job place, out in the workplace, out in the, out in the neighborhood, out in the grocery store. Just speak what thus saith the Lord. Yeah. He prophesied as I was commanded. And notice here in verse 7. Uh, and, and as I prophesied. As I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. I like that. They were in the right order. The femur wasn't hanging out of the shoulder. That would have been weird, right? Your pastor's wife was trying to figure out how the bones went this morning, and we had, I don't know what it was, you had a a leg coming out of a backbone or something. It was weird. I said, that thing is going nowhere, because it was just, yeah. I I, I love how specific God is. Don't you love this? Bone, bone uh, to his bone. They were connected in the right order. Verse 8, it was a complete body here without breath. And when I behold, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. And here's verse 9. He then said uh, he unto me, Prophesy unto the winds, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds. What is that? From the north, the south, the east, and the west. The four corners, not the flat earth corners. The four corners, the, the, the compass of the world, north, south, east, and west. Command the wind, and Ezekiel obeys again. And the Bible says they lived, verse 10. They stood upon their feet. And so much so it says it was an exceeding great army. What a miracle. What a picture. Can these bones live again? God says, yes, they can. Absolutely. It's a spiritual picture. Did Ezekiel really say, see this? Well, yeah, he preached to them. <laughs> Could you imagine that? I want you to see verses 11 through 14, God's performance. Notice the explanation in verse 11. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried. Our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. We're just a pile of bones, right? Listen, if your bones are all out of joint, you're not going very far. Yeah. 
Our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. Our life is so disjointed that we're living in defeat. This is where Israel is. But would you notice the hope in verses 12 through 14? Look what he says. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O oh, oh my people. <clears throat> I don't want to pass over that word, O. Oh. Simple word. Sometimes spelled O, sometimes O-H. I'm telling you, I think it is one of the most powerful indications of the expression of the heart. You can say, well, that's great. Or you can say, oh, that was great. Look what God says. Oh, my people. Don't ever miss the heart of God for his people. Whatever condition you're in today, however far away you are from the Lord today, however you think you've royally messed up today, God says, oh, oh, my people. I will open your graves. What a promise. And cause you to come up out of your graves. And bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves. O my people. And brought you up out of your graves. And shall put my spirit in you. And ye shall live. And shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I the Lord have spoken it. And performed it saith the Lord. Uh, Did you see what he said here? It's verse 12. You see the return to life. Here again in verse 12, you see the return to the land. And then in verse 13 and 14, God says a return to me. A return to life. A return to land, what is that? The will of God. And a return to me, what is that? A return to a relationship. I love that. He said, return to me. He says, you're going to know that I'm the Lord. You're going to know that it was that I have spoken. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I tell you, you get away from God and you don't hear the voice of God like you used to. You read your Bible and it's dry. There's nothing there. God says, when you return to me, you'll hear my voice again. And watch, and you're going to know that I am the one who's done it. There's nothing worse than a believer's life that attributes great things in their life to the world, the flesh, or the devil, rather than to God. Listen, when you get away from God, you'll begin to realize you're attributing more to this life and to yourself than you are to the one who gave you the very breath to get up every morning. Yeah. Israel walked away from God, yes. But God went after Israel. <laughs> Man, I love that. Can I tell you something here? Ezekiel 37 is not creation, it's revival. The bones were there. They had existed at one time. The bodies all were existing at one time, but they died. It's revival. And this is where Israel was. And this is where much of American Christianity is today. They're being entertained by the rock and roll. They're being entertained by the smoke and the lights. They're being entertained by the tickling of the ears of the, of, of, of the so-called preachers that are just very, very gifted, very gifted communicators and, and very good at uh, self-help type of people with some Bible thrown into it. Never get into the depth of the Word of God. Why? Because messages like this separate and divide. People don't like it. 
This is where we are today. And so many believers have bought into the lie of the world and they're living lives of activity, but they're dead spiritually. No, they haven't lost their salvation. That's not what I'm saying. It's not possible. But the fruitfulness of their life, their life is so dried up, there's no fruit being produced. There's no moisture in their life. There's no joy in their countenance. There's no peace in them. There's no humility. There's no just this, this, this overall uh, a- attitude of humility and, 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 uh, and, and just a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, of obedience and, and, and things like that. It's gone out of their life. Their life is dry, disjointed, not really accomplishing anything for God. A life of mere, mere existence. No joy. Joy's gone. God's not real anymore. Church is boring. The preaching of the Word of God is boring. The songs are boring. Oh, I've heard this before. I don't know. There's some of y'all, you could have Andy's every day and be excited every day about it, right? And never said, oh, boy, I'm just tired of that. Yeah. You know, the Word of God's better than Andy's, friend. If you don't know what Andy's is, go up to Springfield. Great custard. <laughs> but you're dry, and the Word of God is boring to you. Can I tell you this morning? You may be going through the motions. Can I tell you, though, there's hope? There is hope. What do you do? Well, what do we have outlined here in in Ezekiel? Return to the Word of God. Simple. Just return to the Word of God. Watch. Stop doing what the world says and start doing what God says. Just that simple. It's so easy. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a promise. God gave Israel a promise. He gave them hope. He gave them a promise. And we have one today. Isaiah 57, 15, let me read it for you. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. He said, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God is in the business of revival. James 4, 8 through 10 God says this through James. The Holy Spirit of God said, Draw nigh unto God, and He will draw nigh unto you. You make the move this morning, and He'll make His move. You go to Him, and He'll come to you. Absolutely. Cleanse your hands, He says, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. We saw it in, when Israel with Samuel, when they began to have a heart again for the things of God. And all Samuel said, he preached to them the word of God. He said, give up your idols and begin to follow God again. We see it in Nehemiah when they came and they wanted the word of God again. And, and uh, they began to read the word of God and began to obey the word of God. And joy and gladness came to them. And then mourning came. And uh, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Mourning came into their life. And they began to repent of what was in their life. And they got back 
back into the will of God. I'm telling you, it is the same pattern in every case, no matter where you are in life. You hear the word of God. You return to the word of God. You obey the word of God. You make your move. God makes his move. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, based upon the word of God, the joy will come back. The life will come back. The, 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 the moisture in your life and the water, it'll all come back to your life. There is hope today if you're away from God. Listen, you can have revival, regardless of what your nation's doing, regardless of what goes on in America, regardless of how bad, regardless if there's no hope for America. Listen, there's hope for you and I to be back in a right place with God. Absolutely. Does your life feel dry this morning? Does your life feel out of kilter and disjointed? Like it just doesn't make sense? You want your life back? Do you remember the freedom and the joy when you first got saved? Yeah. You remember that? Just could, I mean, it was just your world. It was all of your world. It just made you happy. Happy, happy, happy. <laughs> what do you do? Well, just repent. What does that mean? Agree with God. Yeah. Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. I mean, you said this, and I obviously I thought I could skirt by it. Can't. Here's what I figured out again. You're right. I'm wrong. <laughs> Just repent. Return. Return to them. How do you return? Well, whatever you put out of your life that God wanted in your life, put it back in your life. Just obedience. Obedience. And then follow them. Just stay there. Don't get off again. Your, listen, your, your life in Christ, it can live again. It can live again. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. This city, this town needs you to be in a place of closeness to God. You need to be revived. The city needs it. The state needs us to be this way. Our country needs us. If we're away from God, I'm telling you, if we've shifted at all, those people around us who need the gospel need us to be alive and on fire and fervent for the things of God. Friend, I don't know how much more proof we could have watching our nation crumble. I don't know how much more proof we could have that the Word of God's true. We're watching it in real time. <laughs> yeah. You can come back. You absolutely can come back and you can do it today. The Holy Spirit of God maybe has put his finger on something in your life. The Holy Spirit of God maybe has put a little thing and said, you know what, we used to be closer. Yeah. used to have more joy when that, when that word of God opened. You used to spend more time in it than you did in anything else. You used to have a time when you, when, when, when you just couldn't wait to tell somebody about me. You couldn't wait for the church doors to open. You, every time they were open, you used to be there. You couldn't, you couldn't wait for the opportunity to give and to trust and go, I don't know where this is going to end up, but I'm going to do it anyway. And you just love to live by faith. Listen, you can return to that. You can return to that. Because if you're away from that now, you're just, you're just a life of dry bones. Yeah. And listen, you'll never find a flower or anything beautiful come springing up out of a dry bone. It's not going to happen. Our Father, 
our nation definitely needs revival. But Lord, you said judgment begins in the house of God. And we need to deal in our own personal lives. And of course we know not everybody in this room and not everybody watching online is in a place of just away from you and rebellion and sin. We know that. We know that. There's some undoubtedly in this room that are closer to you today than they ever have been. And what a joy that is. And they, they know the joy of being close to you and they know the misery of being away in times in their life as well. We've all done that. But I want to focus on those that maybe have slipped away a little bit. And Lord, they need some hope this morning. And the hope is right here. It's in what you said. And you said, Father, you have said that if we get away, we can come back. And I pray by your Holy Spirit that if anybody is in that place today, that they come to a place of repentance and acknowledgement that they've drifted away. And Lord, that they come to renew again in their life a place of obedience and returning to you and living their life in Christ on a daily basis. Would you do that today? There could be somebody watching or somebody here that's never been born again. Father, we pray that Holy Spirit would draw them, uh, draw them even now, that they, today they'd come to Christ before it's too late. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? The instrument's going to play. It's time of invitation. However the Lord has spoken to you this morning, would you respond to Him right where you are? You have a chair. We, have, we don't have an altar up here, but you've got a chair. Right where you are, you can make a place to get alone with God. Maybe in your life today, you may need to acknowledge, I'm not as close as I used to be. With heads bowed, eyes, I don't want anybody looking around. Would anybody be honest enough with God and with themselves to raise a hand and say, you know what? It's true. There's been a time in my life when I've been closer to God than I am today. Anybody like that? Amen. Anybody else? Could raise a hand and say, I know it, I know, I know. There's been a time when I've been closer to God than I am today. Yes. All you need to do is just admit it. Admit it to God. Not me. I'm no priest. Admit it to God. Return with a heart of obedience and a heart to follow. I'm so thankful for the picture that Jesus gave of that, what we call the prodigal son. When he was yet a great way off, the father ran to him. Doesn't get much better than that, friend. See, it's a heart issue, friend. It's a heart issue. 
When the heart gets right, the obedience will come right into place. Yeah. If you start the checklist first without getting the heart right, you're just in a bunch of religious bondage. close in a word of prayer this morning we'll be back tonight 6 p.m it's possible we might be back in matthew night or matthew 20 we'll see every time i say that something we do to something different so uh, looking forward to that so good to have our guests with us today god bless you for being here i want to say hello to you on the way out and uh so we'll be uh, dismissed here in a word of prayer and i'm just going to ask uh, brother scott peace you're going to be going home tomorrow oh you don't have to. <laughs> so he's, he's got a church. He's got to go back and pastor, I guess, right? You know? so, so it's been so good to have you here. And uh, would you close us on a word of prayer this morning? Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, it's good to be in your house today. And Lord, we thank you for your word that you've given us, Lord. And 